0: A mind which has once imbibed a taste for scientific enquiry and has learnt the habit of applying its principles readily to the cases which occur has within itself an inexhaustible source of pure and exciting contemplations. One would think that Shakespeare had such a mind in view when he describes a contemplative man as finding tongues in trees, books in running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. Accustomed to trace the operations of general causes and the exemplification of general laws in circumstances where the uninformed and uninquiring eye perceives neither novelty nor beauty, he walks in the midst of wonders. Every object which falls in his way elucidates some principle, affords some instruction and impresses him with a sense of harmony and order. Nor is it a mere passive pleasure which is thus communicated. A thousand questions are continually arising in his mind, a thousand objects of enquiry presenting themselves, which keep his faculties in constant exercise, and his thoughts perpetually on the wing, so that lassitude is excluded from his life, and that craving after artificial excitement and dissipation of the mind, which leads so many into frivolous, unworthy, and destructive pursuits, is altogether eradicated from his bosom. Sir John Herschel
1: A Lockshock. A Fabulism. Chapter 23 The Hungry Strike Which of these trees should die? Let's see. This tall pine faces the sun, and I am cold— So I will climb its limbs and rest myself in its crown. And as I do so, it begins to wither beneath me. Ho, the Abnegator hath visited death upon thee, tree. But he needed a place to sit. Oswalden doesn't take long to find me. That's both the best and worst part about him. His mind's as quick as lightning. I've dropped a variety of clues in his path over the last two days. It's all I've been able to do, since my interactions with the world around me have been reduced to nearly zero. I say almost, because I've learned that I'm not entirely disconnected from this world. When the air incinerates, I cough out smoke. When people speak, I hear. Reality just exists at the far end of a very long and winding canyon. So I've learned to nudge this and persuade that. Oswaldin loves the languages of birds, so after I awoke in the slot canyon where my battered body had collapsed after its flight from the Totopass, I joined the pre-dawn chatter of finch and grouse. Soon I had them singing my song— Dousing for well water is one of Oswalden's noble works, so I persuaded the bedrock, after a tragic and futile attempt to access geomancy, to speak on my behalf. And finally, I dictated a letter to a terrified clerk in the first border town I reached. I took no offense from her reaction. I was naked and covered in crusted blood and scars, raving like a madman with no form of payment or knowledge of where I was. But my will could not be denied. Once finished, I demanded the old harridan give me her gown, before burning the letter and casting the ashes to the southwest wind. I knew such a summons would not go unanswered. Now finally, here he comes. With his bald head, browned from sun, and round wire-framed glasses, he possesses a monkish air. He's wrapped in a faded green cloak and wears leather sandals. His head is down. Studying my tracks, and he doesn't look up until he's reached the base of my tree. Oh, hello. Didn't see you up there. Well met. He blinks myopically at me. Oswald Eh? You know me? He backs up, frowning, and cranks the resolution on one of his lenses. He gasps. Absent double-doer! The vile! Is it truly you? "'Ha! Lofty and clueless ambulator. You didn't know? I thought I left sufficient breadcrumbs.' He speaks in a hurried syntax only he can follow.
2: "'No coincidence here. Too improbable. Danger's unknown. Attacks most likely from behind that hill and those trees. Hands empty. Meaning remains unknown.' To wit, my two lines of activity, which had so long diverged, now dangerously converge. On one hand, I secretly study an anomaly never before seen, a disturbance in the fabric of space-time and all three triaxial representations, and at the end of my pursuit, I find the man I'm supposed to be, on what is then the other hand, according to the collected will of the Aconite, hunting. What are you doing up there? Or is this some hallucination?
1: Perhaps the error is in me." Oswalden sits on the roots and turns inward, studying himself. Oswalden. Oz. Hey. Snap out of it. No, it truly is me. Absim in the flesh. I'm the disturbance. Didn't you get my letter? His eyes open and he dials the rims of both lenses, frowning mightily. I collected
2: many direful communications these last 67 hours. The finches sing in a
1: register that hurts the ears, and the earth itself groans at me. What have you done, evil one? Merely spoken with them, looking for you. I have a problem, you see. A unique condition only you can heal.
2: Heal the Dark Lord? Never. I am a gentle soul, but I could never ameliorate your suffering. My conscience would not allow it. Not after you destroyed the beauty of the Isil turrets and murdered their acolytes. Not after the Aconite in their glory assaulted your last fortress and fell back in disarray. The Animat Empress is still
1: missing. Oh, she's dead. The Light Eater gobbled her right up.
2: Ah, madness and despair. What black news is this? So many others had fallen, but we hoped she might survive. "'Simony held the rear so all could retreat. "'Oh, she was the brightest of us. "'The Empress is dead. "'No. "'Oh, howl with heartbreak. "'I condemn you, Absim. "'You are a curse upon a lock "'Whatever parley you have in mind, "'I presumptively reject.'
1: "'Reject?' I leap from the tree and he squawks, cowering away from me as I drop jaggedly through the branches and air, each repelling me to varying random degrees, like a hectic leaf I drop. Oh, little man, let me tell you a thing or two about rejection. I land and slide sideways a bit, killing the grass beneath my metal feet.
2: Uh, Stay back!
1: Oswalden removes a small contraption from within the folds of his robe. It appears brass, studded with jewels. He presses one spot and twists another, and a squad of midget brass golems, waist-high, spring forth from somewhere unseen and surround me, waving knives.
2: One more step, Absim, and they will cut you to
1: shreds. I'm sure they're quite deadly, but the effect is like being swamped by street urchins, and I laugh. Listen, you... Oddball, I'm not here to attack you. I need your help, and I'm not letting you change the subject. I try to push through them, but they are strong, with low centers of gravity. His only response is to crank the dial on his handheld device. The brass golems raise their sturdy little arms and close in. Their blows slide sideways, tangling with each other. Most fall to the ground, inextricably entwined. I stand unharmed within the ring of clattering chaos, hands on hips. See what I mean? This is intolerable. You can't attack me, and I can't attack you. Absolutely purgatorial. You must help me. You must die! He struggles to have them rise, but they cannot obey his commands. His normally beatific face is suffused with rage. Die! Die! I sigh. Oh, and I also come bearing news of your sister and her beefsteak. He shouts over the noise of his struggling minions.
2: My sister! What do you know of Rhine? Why hasn't she answered my latest correspondences?
1: Because she's dead too, and so is the gin.
2: No! Not Rhine! Whoa! My heart is a wasteland!
1: What have you done? Why did you kill them? Oh, it wasn't me. Fantastic battle, though. And buck up. They may not be dead yet. They may just be irrecoverably lost in the infinite void. I was there. I witnessed it. Her and the Jean were vaporized. Or, I think they were. Now help me before I run out of patience. No! (laughs) No,
2: I don't believe you.
1: He lifts his weak arms and his puny fists and hits himself in the legs. What are these lies? What void? I sigh. Aren't you supposed to be some sort of genius? Pay attention. I quickly recount to him the details of my adventures among the stars, sharing the broad outlines while concealing the identity of Epley and anything else that seems like it could be used against me. He listens, his frown deepening. Then, when I finally escaped the hole and saw the remains of their battle afterwards, it looked the way it had when Medj died. Do you recall the blast pattern upon the stones, the riven air? I do recall,
2: but you did not see Rhine and Ketaflakes die.
1: I open my mouth to share the fate of Dame Elephantine, but discretion saves me at the last moment. I only shrug. One only sees what one wishes. Oswalden scowls at me and presses a button. The brass golems retreat in answer to his summons and drag each other back to him like so many broken insects. They fold awkwardly back up and force themselves back into his contraption, which distends and nearly breaks to fit them.
2: Oh, now you've ruined my cataxic soldiery! You will pay, Apsim! I will make you pay for all you've done!
1: Yes, quite. Now, would you like to try attacking me again in some clever way? I'm sure you aren't finished with your experimentation.
2: Oh, that's what you'd like. To drag me down to your hells. To turn me into a monstrous murderer like yourself. Ah!
1: He cries out in anguish and flings an egg-shaped device at me. It detonates at my feet with a green flash of light and poisonous smoke. The blast knocks me from my feet—sideways, of course—and saves me from the poison. Here's the thing. Once the air clears, I can see the apoplectic Ars Walden well enough again to address him. I can breathe the air, yet the fumes of your grenade don't affect me. My new powers reject the violence. Why do they not reject the air? What if I remove
2: your air?
1: Ketaflix tried, after Rhine's own containment spell failed. They both attempted to imprison me in various ways. I assume you will too. It's everyone's favorite method of dealing with me. I've never seen Oswaldin so wroth. His face is dark and his lips are pressed into a white line. I'm not everyone. He lifts what appears to be the stock of a hand crossbow, shorn of crosspiece and string, with a thin barrel pointed at me. He pulls the trigger. A bang erupts, and I feel a fingertip nudge between my eyes. Whatever struck me catoms off into the trees beyond. Why, Oswalden, you're a murderer after all. He throws the weapon to the ground.
2: Only you, Absim. Only you could bring out such hatred and violence in me.
1: You don't know how much that means to me. But listen, perhaps you weren't paying attention to the end of my long tale. That cat-tongue whirl. All it knew was how to reject. That was its only sentient ability. So when I asked for power, rejection was what it gave me. He blinks, his temper fading. Why didn't it reject you? That stops me. Eh, capital question. I don't know why. Or, you know, perhaps it did reject me after all. Perhaps this is its version of rejection, to make me unpalatable to the entire universe. Rejected by all now, shunned by matter and magic themselves, I am the Abnegator. The Abnegator? He drops his hands and considers it.
2: You're saying the denizens of a far-off globe somehow granted you the capacity to reject attacks upon you?
1: It's more than that, Oz. It's everything, coming and going. Arts don't work upon me, and I don't work upon the arts. This quality springs from some bizarre fundament of an outside force. Come on, you live for good technical mysteries like this. It's weird and unknowable, and everything Oswalden delights in. Everything departs at right angles, then twists and drops off into some other thing. Ketaflick said I possess a differing geometry. He believed you'd understand, or no one would. Indeed. Now that Oswalden's intellect is engaged, the storm disturbing his placid features abates.
2: A differing geometry on a faraway globe. But that would mean differing laws govern their world and upend what we know of the natural order. Could it be... It's true that I've entertained the conceptual possibility of physical geometries only being locally realized. See, if you really think about it, it's possible that not only the fabric of reality, but the perception of that fabric distorts and changes along two axes, one being distance and the other time, so that from this position here on the ground looking up at the stars, we cannot tell if reality changes at a distance or if it only appears to change as if we look through a lens that transforms—
1: Yes, well, if I really think about it, I don't care. All I care is that Ketaflix was correct. You're certainly the right man for this job. We sit in Oswalden's workshop, a sprawling underground chamber filled with the stink of lubricants and tables piled with gears and pistons and struts. Lamps that provide steady squares of yellow light hang above us. Arcane equipment lines the wall crawling with static charges and bilious fermentations. He sits at the only empty table, a small lamp shining brightly on the two halves of my Sulimar cuff. With tools I've never before seen, he attempts to get the cuff to divulge its secrets. So far, with no success. At my feet lie chains that would not hold me, bolts that would not pierce me, and shell fragments that are now so much dross. He went at me for a few hours, with all he had before turning his attention to my mysterious artifact. Now boredom steals upon me like sleep. Yet I can't sleep. I've been sleeping for days. What news from the front? But he doesn't answer me. I've asked him a multitude of questions, but he is too engaged with his task. Or he's ignoring me. Probably a wise course. Yet I must know what became of the Totopas and its terrifying bargain with the Light Eater. Has it sallied forth to consume all in its path? Does the Totopas still stand? Do Carlinus and Epley yet breathe? Oswalden curses softly to himself, then rests his forearm in one half of the cuff. He places the second half of the cuff in position over it and lifts a metal stick with a tip as brilliant as a tiny star. He traces the tiny starlight over the seam, up one side and down the other, welding it shut. Once finished, he sits back. After a long moment, the cuff pops open again. Oh, blast. Can I have a chair? He scowls at me. You'll only slide off. Then that divan, I'll settle into the corner. No, and be quiet. I'll leave, Oswalden, I swear.
2: No, you won't. You came to me, remember? You have no one else. I'm hungry.
1: Now he looks at me.
2: Yes, hunger. How does that work? Does the food rebel? Can you digest it? Why do you not die of
1: starvation? I shrug. I've already eaten a bit of bread. It's actually what brought my mind back from wherever the cat-tongue world sent it when this all began. I can eat. I must eat. You can eat.
2: You eat. You breathe. You breathe. You speak, but any other interaction with the world around you is forbidden, all on the whim of a being who abides not on earth. If it was any other man, I'd call it fascinating. With you,
1: it's merely a terrible injustice. I bow. As far as I know, Oswalden remains unaware of my steel legs, and I have every intention of keeping it that way. Do not dissect and weld me on your workbench, Sirrah. These pins are all that allow me to stand unaided so long. Well, if you won't feed me, then I'll have to feed myself. Where's the pantry? Down this hall?
2: I'm fasting.
1: Your what?
2: I'm currently on a five-day fast, Absim, to rid my body, mind, and soul of impurities. I brought no food. That is merely the door out, and storage
1: on the left. Listen, you moon-calf, you can't lie to me. It's one of the very first arts I mastered, and you've hardly practiced. Tell me the truth. Even gruel will do, and wine, I'm parched beyond measure.
2: Insulting me won't change anything. I've truly left all sustenance save water back at my cell in Tinana. I couldn't have it tempt me here while I did such important work. You sniveling, sanctimonious, unright... What did I say about insults?
1: Every jailer feeds his inmates.
2: Quite, yet I am no jailer. Now,
1: I'm ready to perform another experiment. Come out here. I will not. I won't do anything you say, Uswalden, until you feed me. This is a... Well, what is the reverse of a hunger strike? A hungry strike? Fine. Then I shall bring my apparatus to you. The little creep scuttles toward me, wielding that metal stick. It shines with a concentrated light of a thousand suns. I pull back.
2: Electrical power is defined as the product of current and voltage.
1: He extends the stick, his round face garish in the harsh light.
2: The voltage is directly related to the length of the arc, and the current is related to the amount of heat input. Fundamentally, the process is an excitation of electrons at the smallest possible level. The tip here is a field state, even though it is only a dot, only a momentary collection of voltage.
1: Stay away from me with that, Oz.
2: Hold out your hand.
1: I will not. Did you not want me to experiment on you? Pain is pain, you cold-hearted monster. He lunges, driving the metal stick at me. I twist away, but it brushes my gown, igniting it. The electrical arc touches my skin. The nearby air squeals, and reality twists, then separates. Fireworks of electrical potential race along lines I cannot follow, tearing a passage open. Light and heat blast through a ragged portal. Sand everywhere. In the distance, a low range of mustard hills are visible through the shimmering air. The sky is seared gold. What what is it? Oswalden's voice is choked, unbelieving. Too bright! Close it! Close it! I squeeze my eyes and turn away from the glare, but it shoots through my skull and suffuses the world with unbearable brilliance regardless. The burning gown scores my arm. I fall away from him. The arc loses contact with my skin, and the fabric of reality reasserts itself. As someone who is becoming something of an aficionado of dimension portals, this one is unlike any of the others I have yet seen. It did not appear to carry us to some mind-bending approximation of the laws of nature far away. This was instead a violent rend that opened up a passage to another earthly place, evidently a desert. We stand blinking at each other, sight dazzled. Again, he fires up his stick, and an arc jumps to the skin of my throat. I cry out and cover my eyes with my hands, but I feel nothing. I look. A nearby pocket of air has turned itself inside out, revealing gloom. But this is not the void. It is a dark night with a bit of fog somewhere. I smell something boggy and rotten. Insects chitter and whirr. Not that one either. I swat his hand away and the arc fails. The portal closes. We regard each other with even more confusion.
2: Your body is a map.
1: I do possess a differing geometry. He tries again. I lift the littlest finger on my left hand. The arc touches and a long, narrow sheet tears itself open beside me, revealing a dark field with fireflies. Oswalden switches it off, moves the metal stick, not at all, then switches it back on. But the shape of this portal is different, and it leads to a long alley of brick walls with slanting light above. He turns it back off. I hold out my right elbow. He lights it with an arc of voltage. This portal is in a crowded hall filled with laughing, shouting people in eccentric dress. Their tables are piled with food, and the smells of their feast roll through the open portal and make my eyes water in famishment. One jowly matron turns to us, her eyes widening at the impossibility of this vision. Oswaldin waves. That's the one! I take a step toward the matron, but in my haste I push Oswaldin aside, and the Ark loses contact with my skin. The portal winks out. No! Goose and trout, did you see? Pies and tarts in profusion. Stews I've never before seen. Get it back, you twit. Get it back. He tries, but when the portal wrenches open again, it is to a wide view of a swamp glittering in the sunset. Mosquitoes pour through the portal. Oswalden yelps, slapping at himself, and we break contact. He drops the metal stick, dancing about the chamber, waving his arms in a fury, and finally grasps a white stone hanging from a chain around his neck. A halo of crackling static surrounds him, incinerating the mosquitoes. The surviving bloodsuckers turn their attentions to me, yet they cannot land on my sideways skin. Ha! Take me back to those platters of fish and fowl or by all the devils of hell, Oswalden. I shall deep fry you in oil and eat your crackling skin.
2: Oh, leave off with your threats, you ogre. Can't you see? I have no control over where this reaction takes us. Fascinating. The dispersion of the arc's electrons or their engagement with your condition are beyond our arts at the smallest level they must why they must jump orthogonally from atom to atom and change their field states thusly so we cannot predict the interaction yet yeah, no that is a weak argument the maths must exist they just have yet to be invented i must design an experiment yes
1: oswalden turns away from me oswalden but he is lost in thought oswalden I grasp his sleeve, but it twists itself too much in my hand, yanking him. He topples backward to the floor and looks up at me with outrage. The Light Eater. We can use this.
2: Yes, Absim. you keep mentioning that. What the devil are you talking about? One of the beasts you summoned during the latest battle?
1: Not I. A facsimile of myself created by my castle, which is in truth but a facsimile of my own soul. So, in that way, yes, I suppose you could say that it was ultimately I who did the summoning, but no matter, no matter. The important, unfortunate thing is that the Light Eater exists. Can we at least agree on that? And if the monster communicated anything to me in our brief, terrifying encounter, it is that its appetite is endless. It eats light? It ate the Animat Empress. I see. Nothing can stand before it, Oswalden. It is inexorable, and it is coming. It will certainly consume more than a few aconite. It will swallow towns and cities whole. It will eat all of a lock shock before it is done. We must stop it. But how? What if we send it away? Away? Where? Then he lifts the metal stick. Ah. Quite. And that is how we find ourselves later that day, at the top of a stone pillar called Angel Spike, facing the empty sky. The pillar rises from the plains below, a dizzyingly tall remnant of an ancient volcano. Only a low rise of hills ringing the horizon remains of its ancient grandeur, The top of this granite column, which rises higher than the top of any wizard's tower, is tolerably flat where it isn't riven by fractures. A massive bird nest, wide as a hut, rests beside us. Say, Oz, that nest wouldn't be for a great falcon larger than a man, would it? Oswalden turns his attention from the northeast sky and fixes me with a proud smile.
2: Yes, my gear falcons are one of my greatest achievements, and they are like sons and daughters to me. Fierce and proud and quick as cats.
1: Ah, I suppose I shouldn't tell him I incinerated one of his babies from the wall of the totopass I'll keep that tidbit for later. Here they come. A golden cloud sails toward us. I've fled the sight of this cloud for nearly a month. But now I wait patiently for whatever doom it might bring. The cloud drops toward us, and when it reaches the edge of the angel spike, it fades— But the man who drove it steps through the last tendrils and hits the ground at a run, his hands already up, his mouth filled with words of power. Milord, wait! Oswalden holds up his hands, but it is too little, too late. A lance of golden fire erupts from the Cloudwatcher's hands, aimed straight at me. I rock back and grunt, the ray of fire deflecting upwards into the sky, skittering off at untrackable angles. Others ride in his cloud chariot with him, a dozen of the Aconide or more. They hang back, knowing better than to get involved when the Duke of Athabasca is on the attack. Lady Far and Clarice are among them, screaming for my blood, yet I can't hear them over his furious assault. The firebolt finally cuts out, and a great white wedge of air clouts me from above. Instead, meant, I'm sure, to smear my guts against the stone, but I barely feel it. Oswalden vanishes from my side. Ah, he felt it. And now my only ally is spinning away off the stone tower, screaming in terror as he falls. Unfortunate that. You cannot harm Absim. The voice is familiar, but isn't coming from the onlookers on the pillar with us. I look into the sky behind me and find Ketaflix hovering there, Rhine on his shoulder like a parrot. He has made a deal
2: with an unspeakable being. He exists in a differing geometry.
1: When did they arrive? Or had they been there all along? Brass insects were, and they rise in a cloud, Oswalden suspended among them. He squeals in paroxysm of joy at seeing his sister alive. Then he lands upon the cloud and swats at me in outrage for making him believe her dead. But I don't focus on his words. I look instead into the cloud watcher's blazing eyes. Cannot harm him. Fenril Huth snarls at me, baring his big, strong teeth. My blood boils at the sight of his handsome face, his square jaw and noble profile. The man who has it all. Against the man who has nothing but himself. I'll harm Epsom, all right. I'll harm the bloody murderer into pieces. He shouts a word that is holy in passateicism, and a great curved blade appears in his hand, shining with unbearable violet light. Fen, I hold up a hand. Don't. But he is not to be reasoned with. The sword's edge makes contact with my right temple and twists out of his hand. It flashes out of existence, and a bead of blood runs down my cheek. He gnashes his teeth and cries out in fury, and somehow manages to even make that look attractive. By all the gods, I hate him so. He lunges forward and fastens his hands around my throat. His eyes are those of a madman driven beyond reasoning, but his grip cannot close. As hard as he tries, his hands will not choke me. You took Nivenet from me! And your mother and Kendler and the seat of High Lanning and Trat. I know, I know, I told you I would. From the very outset, you knew what the price was. I kick him in the crotch as hard as I can but my leg rebounds into his thigh and he stumbles we fall into each other then rebound away sprawling on the pillar's stone surface the only sound is the moaning wind and his labored breath the others stand in tableau bearing witness allow me to tell a tale the cloud-watcher's voice is a growl a tale never before told the huffs of arabasca are one of the eldest houses of a lock shark, yet I have never claimed their legacy. I swore when I was young that I shall gain my position on my own merits, and so I have. But there is a hidden shame in that oath that I have never revealed. When I was a wayward youth, rebelling against the tiresome traditions of court life, this devil's honeyed words sounded like excitement and adventure. It was on the darkest night in my father's drawing room that we first met. Absom had forced the window's latch and was rifling my father's documents. I investigated the noise and came upon this feral wretch, wrapped in black, pilfering my family's treasures. He did not hear me, and I did not stop him. I only watched. If I had only killed him then, I would have saved all those I love from so much strife. But I did not... I only watched, and with every breath I did not cry out, I became more complicit in his crime. He finished his quick inventory and looked up. Our eyes met, and he could tell at a glance that I'd already become his accomplice. He laughed. Such a cruel sound, the way Absim laughs. I always imagine a coyote with a bloody maw stooping over a stolen kill— But I was sick of court life, so I laughed too. He held out his dirty hand, and without a word, I took it. He shoved a sheaf of parchments into his folds and pulled me to the window. Night covered Denna Inn. It looked sad and small to my young eyes, ready to be abandoned. I looked back one last time to the only home I'd ever known, the ancient palace of the Duke my father, and, and I saw pool of blood, and his boots upraised, his legs stretched from behind the desk. I saw, and I still departed with his murderer. My lord, you knew? My Simrank gapes at him. You knew of your father's death before you left? You always said In was burned and you barely escaped and never knew what happened to your kin. It was burned. I never said by whom. Now I laugh. Oh, how glorious to be here when the whole world finally learns what I've always known about Fenril Hoth, that you're no better than me. You just look better at the head of a parade, but your heart is as black and your past is as foul. Lord, you burned your own city? General Runk looks like someone just told him the foot fairies aren't real. They all do. For if the Cloud Watcher isn't a paragon of goodness, then who is? Oswalden places a hand on his shoulder. He looks none the worse for wear. You must listen to him, Lord Huff. Never. Listening to Absam Grill is how I ruined my life. Ruined your life. I bark at him, standing unsteadily. Oh, is it you who has been chased from every corner of the lock shark and across the sky itself? Is it you who has been kidnapped and tortured and killed and been remade again and again? I thought you made a pillow every night of the hummingbird queen's plump ass. His temper flares again. Say not a word about her, you monster. Oh, it's true love now, is it? Not just a marriage of political convenience, but a romance for the ages. How lovely for you. And what lovely little insufferable children you will have, I'm sure. You will never know them. He rises and spreads his arms against the sky. The clouds gather, darkening to a furious black spot over his head. Wait, wait. Lady Fa pushes her way between us.
2: Stop it, Lord. Your lightning will blast us all from this pillar. Save your fury for him
1: alone. His lip twitches. Finally, he lowers his hands and the clouds disperse. He stole my family from me. My love and future. Apsom stole a happier Lockshock from all of us. He must pay. None gainsay him. Finally, his eyes narrow. Yet why does he not fly? Why does he not fight back? It's a testament to how much of his temper he lost, that the Cloud Watcher is only now thinking tactically again. He tries to grab my arm, and he studies how his grip slides off. I smile at him and shrug. He spits at my feet. Rank and Kymul do as well. I'm the spittoon of the Aconide. They curse me. I'm here because of simony. That quiets them.
2: So are we.
1: The voice belongs to Clarice.
2: Revenge for her murder.
1: Only your head will suffice. She spits at my feet, too. For once, she doesn't seem lovely. This martial aspect makes her as desirable as a sergeant major. I see now that there is far more to Lady Clarice than I ever knew. I'm glad you're here, Succubus. You need to corroborate my tale. Tell them of the dream you had of me, where we crossed the void and faced our disgust. Recovered yet? She shudders. Do not make me think of it. I turn to Cataflix and Rhine. And you two, describe the infinite void surrounding us all, stealing significance from all we do. It's where you found me, is it not? Refugeed from a foreign globe made of rejection itself? What is he talking about? Us Walden? Ketaflix? Fenra looks from one to the other. Explain this. Attend, my lord. Oswalden raises his little welding wand. The Dark One has
2: traveled far from a lock shock and made compact with powers unknown. We cannot hurt him, but he cannot hurt us. Now, in the course of investigating his condition, I also discovered that if an electrical current is applied to his skin...
1: He switches the wand on and touches it to my scalp. For some reason, a much wider swath of air than before tears itself open with a scream, revealing an indigo night sky of clouds and chalky moonlight and dark land far below. The wind howls across the mouth of our portal, sucking our own air forcibly out of a lock And all of us as well.
0: Thanks for listening to A Stay tuned every week for new episodes. Tell your friends and keep an eye out for other stories told here on The Unuseful Hour.